I want to talk about the difference and how anointing and glory works. All right. I, I wanted to give this uh, a title, a different title, but I knew that only people of my generation would understand it and that I would lose everybody else. I wanted to say, God is cool. That's what I want to title it. How many of you would have known what I meant? I mean, if I said God is cool, I see some people tonight, you, you're already on top of that. The rest of you are looking like, what in the world is he talking about? So I didn't call it God is cool, but if I can give it a subtitle, I would say God is cool, all right? So I wanna, the first thing I wanna talk about is the difference in the hot and cold sides of God. You need to understand that God is hot, but God is cold. And that's the reason he did not say that either one of them was wrong. That's the reason that he said to the Laodicean church, I wish you were one or the other, but you can't be nothing. What he was saying is you can't be an imitation of one of them. You can't, be, you can't try to blend them. You have to either walk in the coolness of God or the hotness of God. But when you try to blend it and play it safe, you become a pretender. You become an imitator of what God is doing. So the first thing you have to understand is how God operates how God began to operate in the Bible and how we have to operate when God works cool instead of hot. We know what to do when God works hot, but do we know what to do when God works cool? And that's what we, we have to deal with. Now, we're gonna begin with the very first thing that God did to bless the earth, which is in Genesis 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Now, listen to this. Before any plant of the field was on the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, there was no man to till the ground, but a mist, or a mist rather, went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. The first presence of God's blessing, there was no rain, there was no man, the first presence of God's blessing was a cool mist that come up from the earth and watered the ground. Now, later on, you will hear that called the cool of the day. So the first time we see God and hear God in the Bible, other than the creation story, the first time God enters interacting with man, we see God walking cool, not hot. There is no anointing yet. There is no such thing as anointing yet. God walks all by himself. When God operates hot, he works through men. When God operates cool, he works by himself. When God operates in the anointing, he works through everything from crack pots to whatever, to, fly, to ointment with flies in it. And God uses it all because he's working through men who are not infallible. Not even the Pope, sorry to disappoint you. But there are no infallible men. So God works through mankind. But when God works cool, he does not lean on men. He works all by himself. So when you see the first noise that God makes toward mankind, listen to this, listen to this description of God in the garden in the cool of the day. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. I think that's behind you there. They, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Everybody say cool of the day. And here's the first thing I want you to understand. They heard the sound of God walking. Now get that. You gotta, let, you gotta grab that. They heard the sound of God coming. Glory 
has a sound that precedes it. Glory doesn't show up just because you want it to. Glory, you hear God coming. I tell, every time I preach uh, to young people, I tell them this. I mean, my wife, my redhead has heard me say this so many times now that she can say it as good as I can. I tell them this every time I speak to young people. I hear you coming, and I do. I see the army rising up. I hear the chains falling. I hear footsteps coming my way from another generation. And I know it's about to happen. I know sons and daughters are prophesying because in my spirit, I hear them coming. The glory has a sound. And the sound is, is not singing. Glory does not show up in singing. Glory shows up in worship. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference in singing and worshiping. A huge, huge difference. Singing might be a platform for worship, but you can worship without singing, but, and, and you can, but you can sing without worshiping. So worship is the platform where glory begins to show up, not not music, not singing. All of these are instruments and tools that God uses if we yield them to him. So they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord and from among the trees in the garden. So here's what I want you to hear. I want you to notice this. When glory comes, you hear it before you see it. Glory has a sound. Linda Cooley did a teaching at ISO called Why We Worship. It was an amazing teaching, by the way. If you haven't heard it, you need to get it. It's, it's so worth it. And we decided that while he was there, because he was the worship leader during the Brownsville Revival, we decided that we would do a night of worship with Lyndall there at ISO. We'd never done anything like that. And so um, we had the, a room full of people that night. Many of you were there. It was just packed out that night. And Lyndall and his team got up there and began to worship. I don't know how many of you remember when this happened. If you were there, you can't forget it because it was one of those staining moments for me. But there was a moment that when we started worshiping that Lyndall stopped the music and stopped the singers and just said, start worshiping, I hear it coming. And when he did that, you would think that would happen for five minutes. I mean, it's hard sometimes to get people to corporately play, pray for five minutes unless you sing them a song while they're doing it, right? And then if you sing a song too long, they'll start singing the song and quit praying, you know? So that's what you gotta work with. So people will just, they're supposed to be praying and instead they're singing. And so some, sometimes we have a hard time detaching and actually entering in. And so what happened in that night of worship is that when that happened, I'm gonna guess, I don't know, I didn't time it, I'm gonna guess that went on for 30 minutes, might have been 40 minutes, where the glory of God came in that room and it was wave after wave. No sound was coming from an instrument. No one was, no one was singing. Linda was given minimal instruction and the glory of God. I, the reason I can't remember most of it is because I ended up on the ground. I mean, my, I was, I face planted that night and it was like, I was just so soaking in the glory of God that it was just wave. How many of you were there that night? Do you remember that? So you remember, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was waves after waves after waves and then it would die down and it would come back again. It almost sounded like a shofar was blowing in the room, if you remember that. I mean, it would, it would die down and then all of a sudden it would just rear back up. It was like a big wave would come and then it would float down and it'd come right back again and we just bask in that place for the longest time. That's the difference in when the anointing is working and when glory is working. 
in that moment, there was nothing for anyone to say. There was nothing for anyone to do except soak in the presence of God. People were healed. People were set free. I mean, it was an incredible experience just to be in the glory and in the presence of God. So get this. Singing does not bring glory, but worship does. And the sound that precedes glory is worship. The sound, everybody say that with me. The sound that precedes glory is worship. And that is why you can never take worship too seriously. You can never take worship. You, can't, you can never honor worship enough. And that is the reason, you know, I, I, I love to worship, but I just put everything I got into it, man. I mean, I go after God. I can't jump as high as I used to jump, but I jump as high as I can. And, and, you know, I just give, I put my heart into it. I put my soul into it because I know what happens when you do. And that's not about me having fun. I'm not at a Holy Ghost dance party. I mean, you know, sometimes it breaks out like that, right? But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm not just trying to feel better. And some people worship just to feel better. I'm not, worship to feel, I'm not worshiping to feel better. I'm worshiping to live better. I want something to happen in me, even if it's conviction. I want something to happen in me, even if it puts me on my knees and makes me repent. I don't want to just feel better. I want something to happen inside of me that makes me live my life better because of the presence of God. And that's what glory does, and I know that. So the sound that precedes glory is always the sound of worship. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com. Or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you and God bless you. And may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to hope in the word. Now when God decides to bless the earth, one of the first things he did is he gave man a covenant blessing. Now this is very interesting. I, I didn't know this. As a matter of fact, when I got up this morning, I, uh, in my prayer time, the Lord gave me this whole message. And some of the things I'm telling you, I didn't even know till this morning. So God, this is the, the, I'm telling you the ink is still wet on this one. And the bread is still hot in my hands. So it's right out of the oven. So one of, the things, one of the things that God did in the very first promise to the earth is he made a covenant promise to the earth, not just to Noah, but he made a covenant promise to the earth when he gave him the rainbow. Listen to this. While the earth remains, this is Genesis 8 and 22, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat. Did you get that part? This is God's blessing the earth. I'm gonna give you seed time and harvest. I'm gonna give you cold and heat. And then he repeats it. I'm gonna give you what? Winter and summer. I'm gonna give you day and night. One is hot, one is cold, and it shall not cease. So this is the interesting thing about when God blesses the earth, he blesses them in a cool way and a hot way. I'm gonna give you cold and heat. I'm gonna give you 
winter and summer. I mean, he never mentioned fall and spring, which is some people's favorite time of the year, right? He doesn't mention that. I'm gonna give you something cold, and I'm gonna give you something hot, and I'm gonna move in all that. Even when it's cold and you think that things are dead, I'm just gonna show you that unless a seed dies to the ground, it cannot live again. I'm gonna make you think the whole earth is dead, and then in spring, I'm gonna put a crown on everything when it comes back to life. And I don't know if you know this about April. I don't know if you understand this about blooming every single thing that blooms starts with a crown every bud on every tree look at it closely next year every flower starts with a crown before you see the bloom you see a crown God crowns everything it's a resurrection moment it looks like the tree in your yard was dead and all of a sudden a crown shows up and then a bloom shows up and it all comes back to life and it's green again and God is saying, this is my plan. I want you to understand, if you only know my anointing, you're gonna miss revival because revival takes both. I work cold and I work hot. Now when God decided to give a promise to, to Noah, he gives him a rainbow. Listen to this. I set my rainbow in the cloud. Notice that. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring a cloud, it says it three times, over the earth, that the rainbow shall be seen where? In the cloud. So three times he tells you that the promise is coming in a cloud. Now notice, and I haven't got there yet, so I'll get ahead of myself, where does glory come? It comes in a cloud. When the glory shows up, he shows up in a cloud. So God is telling you, I'm gonna give you a promise in a cloud. Now how is a rainbow created? I had to look this one up. So how is a rainbow created? It is created, a rainbow is caused, and this is, you know, this is not me, this is something I pulled up from the internet. A rainbow is caused by sunlight and water. Light enters the water droplet, heating them up and slowing it down and bending it as it goes to denser water. So here's how a rainbow's created. Hot and cold come together. A rainbow is created when the sun heats up the cool water and begins to bend it, and that's where covenant comes from. When my cloud shows up, I'm gonna use anointing, but I'm also gonna use glory. And if you want revival, you can't just understand how the anointing works, you have to understand how to move in glory. Because glory moves differently from the anointing. It works differently from the anointing. So a rainbow is created when the hot and the cold come together, everybody say covenant. When the hot and the cold come together, you come into covenant. See, a rainbow in heaven is not a half circle. The only time a rainbow appears in heaven, it's a full circle. The Bible says it's a circle around the what? Throne of God. So that means we have half and he has half. That's what that means. God says, I'm only giving you half of the, it's an unbroken, it's like a wedding band, it's unbroken, but I'm giving you half and I'm keeping half. It's like two best friends that are going on a journey. You take half the necklace, I take half the necklace. We put them together and we, have, we no longer have a broken heart. God says, my covenant depends upon your obedience because in order for me to operate in the earth, I'm gonna move cool if you can move hot. You gotta understand the anointing so I can move in 
and glory. You've got to understand worship. There has to be a sound that comes and precedes glory. If you can understand how to get anointed in your worship, you will create the atmosphere and the sound where the glory of God will come down and settle, and you get a covenant out of that. You get a covenant relationship where hot and cold comes together. Woo, hallelujah. Hot and cold comes together. So in Exodus, let's keep going. I'm just gonna give you several examples of this. In Exodus 13, and the Lord went before them by day as a pillar of cloud, and by night as a pillar of fire, to light the way is to go by day and night. Okay, so understand this. Now, God uses the pillar of cloud for many things, but in this particular way, he says it's a guide. It's an angel that goes before them, the pillar of cloud. And then at night, he lit the way so they could still travel at night. Now, he also comes between this pillar, this pillar of fire moves between them and the Egyptians. So it was also to protect them, but God says in this particular passage, when he first introduces the law of first mention, when he first introduced the pillar of cloud, he says, I'm gonna move cool and I'm gonna move hot, and both of them are to guide you. You have to learn how to walk by night when it's hot. And you have to learn how to walk in battle when it's hot. You have to learn how to walk when you can't see and all you've got is a light. And that's what the anointing feels like. Anybody that's ever operated in the anointing, you feel your way through it. Sometimes you don't have a clear path, but have you ever seen an evangelist or a pastor or anybody up there preaching or even worshiping, and they get that big bug-eyed look in their eyes like something happens, you know? The T.L. Lowry was known for that. Perry Stone does that. I mean, there's a lot of people that do that, right? They get that big bug-eyed look in their eye, and you know something's about to happen because they're, they've just, they're in the dark, and it just, it just, they just had an awakening. They just saw something that God wants to do. You know, I don't know how the gifts of the Spirit work in you, but I know how they work in me. I, I can't, you know, maybe I'm not where you are, but I just can't call them up on demand. You know, I wish I could just say, you know, I've got the gift of, of healing on me right now. Come on up here. I'd just go, if I could do that, I'd go to Denny's and wipe the place out. I'd go to the hospital. I'd walk in room after. If I could do that, you, you wouldn't. I would fill up Walmart. I mean, I would go everywhere I could go. There'd be people laying all over the south, the north, the east, and the west because I'd be a, a one-man healing crusade. If I could just make it work when I wanted it to work, there wouldn't be a hospital with a, with, a, with a person in a bed anywhere. The nursing homes would empty out. I mean, I'd even, if it kept working, I'd just go into the graveyard, man. I mean, I'd just keep it going. If I could call it up on demand, but the way it works for me is that he uses me as he wills. And I know the difference. There are times that the gift of discernment will, will operate in me, and I know every person I pray for, I know their need before I pray for them. And when you tell them that, it builds their faith. When you say, you don't have to tell me what to pray for, I already know, and when you tell them that. I remember one night, I prayed for a group of singles, and it was just their night. And I had no, I didn't see it coming, and when I prayed, there must have been 50 of them. And when I prayed for the first one, I knew exactly what was. The next one, I described the house their parents lived in. The next one, I told them the, the amount of a bill that needed to be paid. I mean, it was just that clear. And it was that bug-eyed look that came over me. The next day, I wanted to do it, and it just wasn't working anymore. You know, so it's like, come on, where'd that go? But I realized I was the conduit, not the owner. I, I realized I was only the instrument 
but not the master. I was, a, I was only one part of God's orchestra. I wasn't the symphony, and the song wasn't about me. And that's what happens a lot of times when we recognize our gifts is we want to own it. And you can't own it. He has to own it and use it in you. So when the, when the light comes, it's like something comes on in the anointing. And in that moment, you know what to do. That's when Braden changes the song. You did that tonight. That's when he, I, I see his list, but he's never on his list. I mean, he, he's all over the place. He's everywhere but his list. And you have to have somebody as good as LeBron to hang on to that because he can just go wherever you need to go. You know, wherever, wherever, whenever it shifts, he just goes with the shift. And that's what the anointing feels like and works, and you have to do that. And these musicians, man, they're just amazing because they've got to hang on for the ride too. It's like, where are we going with this? And it all works out together. That's what the anointing does. The light comes on, and you begin to operate in it, all right? So that is, that is the cloud by day and the cloud by night. Now, there's two things that I want to explain to you about the tangible emblems of God's anointing. The, the, or not his anointing, but God's presence, rather. Two tangible signs of God's presence. God's first sign of his presence on men was oil. Everybody say oil. He said, if I pour this oil on you, you're sanctified. If I pour this oil on you, you're anointed. So they anointed kings by pouring oil on them. They anointed prophets by pouring oil on them. They anointed buildings by pouring oil on them. So the tangible sign of God working in men is oil. Now you gotta keep that, you gotta keep that in mind when we get to the day of Pentecost that's gonna make more sense to you. So when God works through men, it works through oil. And that's what we call the anointing because the anointing is like a, an, an ointment that makes things easy. It's something that, that causes you to flow. That's why people love the word flow in, the, in, in church. You know, Man, I gotta get in the flow. That means that I'm not making it happen anymore. I'm just kind of riding the way. Whatever God's doing, that's what he's doing through me. So the, the first is, is oil, and the second essence of God's presence is glory. And when glory comes, it is a visible, tangible sign. The Shekinah glory of God is a visible, tangible sign that God's presence has just operated in a supernatural way. Now, the first time we see glory in the cloud was in the camp of Israel, when the pillar of cloud came in the camp of Israel. That's the first time we see glory. That when God began to operate through Moses, the cloud moved outside the camp into the tabernacle. When the Holy of Holies was dedicated, where did the cloud go? There was a cloud above, above the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. So here's what you need to understand. When the glory appears, sometimes you hear a sound, but if you press in long enough, it may manifest tangibly into a type of cloud. Now there may be lots of other colors because it may follow the colors of the rainbow, I don't know. But the only two colors I've ever heard of is green and blue. Now, there may be others. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm just saying that every time I've heard somebody see that, and I've actually visibly seen the glory cloud two times in my life, and both times it was blue. But there are times that it's green. And I, it, can I just give you one hit and run? I mean, I, I, this is, I, I, I can get lost on this, so I don't want to talk too long, but I want to give you a hit and run. 
These LED lights, they, they operate off of RGBs, right? Reds, greens, and blues. That's what they operate off, RGBs. What happens is with these LED lights, every single color of the color spectrum can be created in RGBs. So that means if you want purple, if you want yellow, whatever you want, the reds, greens, and blues create all the other colors. When you see the description of God in the book of Revelation, it says the great white throne. The only reason it says white throne is because they did not know how to translate a light throne. The word there is not white. They just created a blank color, so we call it white throne, but the word is light throne. But when you see the description of God on the throne, it's a Sardis stone, which is red. So the color of God's throne in the courtroom is red. When you see the color of, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. When you see the color of the throne in the temple, which is at the right hand of the Father, Isaiah did not see, he didn't just see God. If you, I don't have time to go through the whole book of Isaiah chapter six, but he keeps talking about two descriptions of God. If you look at it, one is L-O-R-D, the other is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's how they translate it in English. He's talking about two different people that he's seeing, and he keeps describing them. But in this throne that he sees in the temple, it is not red, it is green. It is the emerald throne. So you have God on a red throne, you have Jesus on a green throne, and then when you see the throne on the earth, Ezekiel chapter one, we call that the sapphire throne because when it comes to the earth, it turns blue. So you've got the throne of the Father, the seat of judgment on the red, which you gotta go through the blood of Jesus to get saved, right? You see the life in the sun, which is green, and you see the blue on the earth, which is the Holy Spirit working on the earth. Now, when God said, let there be light, everything in the world was created. So when I went to school, they told me this, they said, that the smallest component of matter was the atom. You might remember that. And then later on they said the proton and the neutron is how you break down the atom. Well, now they can see 1,000 layers into the proton and the neutron. And you know what they found at the very bottom of everything? The smallest component, subatomic of matter. You know what they found? They found the quark. Now, that's not a character on Star Trek. That's a different guy. No, they found a quark, and you know what quark is? A quark, in layman's terms, is three strands of light wrapped in a sound wave. And you know what color they are? Red, green, and blue. The smallest component of matter is a red, green, and blue light wrapped in a sound wave when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said, let there be light. Whew, everything in the world was created. Everything exists by the creation of the quark. So you have to understand this, that when the glory of God manifests itself, Often you will see a cloud, and many times that cloud will be blue, representing the glory of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that cloud will be green, representing the glory of Jesus Christ. And I haven't seen a red cloud, but I'm waiting on it. I'm ready to see a red one. Listen, I don't care if it shows up purple with yellow polka dots. I just want to see the glory. But when you see the glory, the cloud, many times, if you read the Azusa Street uh, books on the Azusa Street meeting, they'll tell you the cloud would usually be about two to three feet off the ground, and it would hover for hours. 
and it would be like a mist like what I read to you in Genesis, a mist that would come up, a blue mist that would come up and all people had to do was walk in it and their bodies were healed. People would lay down in it. They would get them out of wheelchairs. Nobody was praying for them. Nobody was touching. That's what I want to see. They would take a person out of a wheelchair and lay them down in the midst and they would jump up on their feet healed without anybody touching them or praying for them. That is the difference that when God uses us that when he decides to to do it all by himself. And I'm telling you, the next move of God, you're going to see God showing up and showing out in a way you've never seen God move in your lifetime. Hallelujah. So when the glory filled Solomon's temple, notice what happened. This is 2 Chronicles 5, verse 11. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy for all the priests who were, who, who were present sanctified themselves. Say sanctified themselves. How did they do that? They put on garments and they poured oil on themselves. That's the anointing. It started off with people walking in the anointing. The priests sanctified themselves. And the Levites who were the singers and all those, the, the, those of Asaph and Heman and, and, and Jeduthun and those sons and those brethren, they stood at the east of the altar clothed with white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Verse 13, indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one. Everybody say that, as one. When the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound. Everybody say one sound. I'm going to tell you something. There is no glory without unity. It just doesn't happen. The unity has to precede the glory. When they were as one and they were making one sound to be heard praising and thanking God, when they lifted up their voices with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music, and they praised God, saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continuing ministering. Now, if you read the King James Version, that's the new King James, if you read the King James, it says the priest could not stand and minister. That means they couldn't even stand up in the presence of glory. There was nothing left for them to say. There was nothing left for them to sing. They did their part, but when glory showed up, they just took a seat. When glory showed up, there was no sermon to be preached. When glory showed up, there was no song to be sung. The instruments stopped playing, and the glory cloud filled up the house the temple of Solomon. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's amazing what happens when the glory of God begins to fill the house. Now, let's go forward to the day of Pentecost, and I'm, I'm taking you through this. I could do this all night, but I'm not going to, I promise. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with what? One accord. Everybody say one accord. And where were they? In one place, all right? So you're gonna keep seeing one, one, one. They have to be one. There can be no division. There has to be one. So they were all in one accord, in one place, and suddenly, and that's how it comes, there came, the first thing that happened was they heard him coming. There was the sound of the rushing mighty wind. God's coming cool. Here comes the wind. He's not coming hot. He's coming cool. And when God comes cool, they heard the sound of God coming just like Adam and Eve heard the sound of God coming. There is a wind that started blowing and they started seeing the coolness of God. The glory of God came into that room. And when it did, he turned a hundred and 20 people into a menorah. 
That's exactly what happened. The tongues of fire set down upon each of them just like the candlestick, just like the menorah, and it began to pull the oil up out of them. So the menorah, this is what happens in the anointing. It wears you out. It empties you. Okay, so I'm about to, I'm about to preach something that the old school is going to disagree with me on, but you know what? Just hang in there. I'm not a heretic. I promise. You have to keep being filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't mean your initial feeling. I'm not talking about being initially filled. I'm telling you, you can run out of oil and you got to keep going back to where you got it. I'm telling you that you cannot just say, I'm sanctified and, and I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and stop praying and stop worshiping and stop, and stop reading your, you can't do that. You can't do that. Your oil will run out and you'll start to take it for granted. You cannot allow that to happen. If you want to be used by God, you've got to keep the reservoir full. Don't stop worshiping or you'll lose your anointing. Don't stop reading the word. You'll lose your anointing. Don't stop praying you'll lose your anointing so understand how important it is that when the day of Pentecost came they literally turned into candlesticks they have an oil a lampstand they have oil being poured up pulled up so as the fire burns it empties it out if you've ever operated in the anointing you know what I'm talking about you go home wore out you go home tired I mean you can't you can't hardly think straight. You can't hardly talk about anything. You just want to go home and go to bed because it depletes you. But that's not the same way with the glory. Times of refreshing come in the presence of God. In the glory or in the anointing, God's using you and it takes everything you've got to do it. That's why sometimes worship's hard. But if all the anointed worshipers say, this is too hard, you're never going to get there. You gotta have somebody that can press in and do the hard stuff, not just, not just thumb their way to heaven and let everybody else do the work. You can't just ride on the, tail, on the, on the, on the tailgate of those who, who bought the gas and those who, who, who bought the car. You can't just do that. There's no freeloading in worship. Everybody has to become a menorah. Everybody, everyone in the upper room became a menorah. Okay, I want to tell you something that's probably going to go against our Holy Ghost grain a little bit. But some people just want half of Pentecost. They just want the part where they spoke in tongues. That's all they want. They don't want the part where they left and went into the street and 5,000 people got saved and 3,000 people. There was 3,000 got saved on the first day. By the end of the week, 5,000 more got saved. They want the part where we go to the holy huddle and fall out in the Spirit. That's the part they want. Give me the holy huddle. Let me fall out in the spirit. Let all my friends gather around me and tell me it's all going to be okay. That's the part of the Holy Ghost I want. But I don't want the part that sends me to Walmart to witness to somebody in a line. I don't want the part that causes me to pay for the meal of the person on the other side of the restaurant that the Holy Spirit is trying to get a message to. I don't want the part that tells me to go to my neighbor and pray for their sons to come back for the Lord or be delivered. I don't want that part of Pentecost. I just want the feel-good holy huddle part. And real Pentecost, real revival is about people getting saved. I mean, you, uh, you, you have your cup running over. When your cup's running over, you no longer keep it to yourself. You have to tell everybody you know about it, and it fills you up. So understand the tongues of fire turned everybody into menorah. Um, 
You know what? I want to, I want to go on down. We, I talked earlier about the, um, yeah, let's do this. Church of Laodicea. I know your works, Revelation 3, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold. Get that. God didn't say, I wish you were Pentecostal or Presbyterian. That's how some people interpret that. He didn't say it that way. God didn't say that if you don't jump up and down and wave your hands, you're cold. He never said that. Sometimes that's exactly how God works, is in quiet, in silence, in tears, in, in solitude. Sometimes that's exactly what God wants to do. No, God didn't say that. God said what you cannot do is pretend what you cannot do is not operate in the anointing and not contend for the glory and just act like you've got something that you don't have. He said that there will be some that will have a form of godliness but no power in it. It looks like God. They sound like God. They preach like God. They sing like God. But nothing's happening, man. Nobody's getting saved. Nobody's getting baptized. No one's getting healed. There are no gifts of the Spirit operating. It really looks like God. It's an intellectual experience par excellence but there's no power in it. Nothing's happening. That's all he's talking about being lukewarm. He's saying you, you, you either need to walk in anointing or walk in glory. If you're, if you're pursuing glory, you become a radical worshiper. I'm just gonna be honest with you folks. If you're pursuing glory, you just start worshiping out of the box. I mean, it just, you forget who's around you. You go after God with all of your heart. You don't care who's looking. You dance like nobody's looking. I mean, it doesn't mean that everyone reacts the same. You may never jump. I'm a jumper. I'm a jumper because I, I came out part of the charismatic movement. I pastored in the Midwest for almost 30 years. We had a big church and there was no room for shouting. And what I mean by that is I grew up in a small church and everybody shouted like this. You can't do that in a big church. There's no room. You have to shout like this. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You just don't have enough room or you'll hurt somebody or hurt yourself. I mean, we named every shouter in my little church. There was the man on fire. There was the sprinkler over there. You know, he was going off. We even have my wife's grandmother. Uh, I, she, she had two little uh, rolls on each side of her head, and they were pinned up with bobby pins, and they were braided. And if, and if Sister Ma Glass ever got the Holy Ghost on her, you better look out because she turns into a weed eater. I'm telling you, she grabbed the pew in front of her and go shaking her head like that. Those two pigtails would come out, and it'll put your eye out if you're anywhere close. You want a haircut? Just get near Sister Maud Glass. She'll give you one right now, man, because she turned into a Holy Ghost weed eater. I mean, that's, that's how we grew up. But sometimes when God operates, we, we love that. But sometimes God just wants to say, shh, let me do something without you saying anything. Let me just show you what I can do all by myself. God said, I, you need to learn how to operate hot, but also learn how to operate cool. The anointing is when God uses you. But here's the thing I want you to, to know, and I'm going I'm to close here. Revival doesn't happen just because you have an anointed person. Every great evangelist will tell you this. They'll go one place and revival will break out. And they'll go another place the next week and it's cold as it can be. And they're, they're, they're still anointed. They're preaching the same sermons. It's the same God, but the house wasn't ready. And the difference is when covenant breaks out, when glory breaks out, it is, a, it is a relationship between anointed people and worshipers seeking glory. 
true revival, true revival. I'm talking about Azusa Street. I'm talking about Brownsville. I'm talking about the charismatic renewal. I'm talking about the healing revivals. I'm talking about any time you've ever seen the supernatural of God. It wasn't just because there was anointed evangelists. It wasn't just because an A. E. Allen showed up or an Oral Roberts showed up or T.L. Lowry. It wasn't just because they walked into a room. It was because there was a room sitting there ready for people. There was a room of people waiting for the glory of God to fall. We had a lady in our church that worked for the Benny Hinn Ministries, and, and this was many, many years ago, probably 30 years ago. Her name was Joan Geeson. If you've ever been to Benny Hinn, you've, you've met Joan because she, she had an anointing to pray for the sick. And she invited me one time to uh, the Benny Hinn Crusade and said, I want, you to, I want you to come and work with me. Do you guys know Joan? Yeah, she said, I want you to come and, and work with me. And uh, so I said, well, what do you do? She said, well, we are the pre-prayer team. Now, if you ever notice in the Benny Hinn Crusades that everybody that comes on the stage has already been healed, right? Have you ever noticed that? Everybody that come up, they didn't get their healing on the stage. They came up on the stage to testify that they had been healed. So Benny would sing a song, and he loved the song, Hallelujah. They'd sing a song, and you'd have 50,000 people in there singing Hallelujah at the same time. And it was like a holy hush would come over the room. I mean, it wasn't anything like you would normally think that would be worked up. It was the opposite. A holy hush would come over the room, and he would say, God's healing people right now. Well, Joan and about 20 other people with the gift of faith and miracles was off in a sectioned off area with people in wheelchairs. And when that would happen, they would start praying for people, and people would start getting up and start getting healed. Blinded eyes would open. I mean, these were real miracles that started taking place. And she told me, she said, I've never, she said, this is not a perfect ministry by any means. And she said, it's not, there's no perfect people in this ministry, but I've never been anywhere where I've seen this many miracles that can take place. And she's, I said, Joan, what do you attribute that? Is it just the anointing that's on Benny? She said, no, he's the anointed one. It's what's in the room. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world.